0: Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. And now, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker for today, Rabbi Jonathan Seeger. Did I pronounce it correctly? Um, Rabbi was born in Boston and raised in New York. He is an alumnus of the Portledge School and graduated from Brandeis University with honors and is also a graduate of the Second City Conservatory of Improvisational Theater in Chicago, which makes me look forward to this talk, where he also worked as an assistant producer. He received his master's degree and later his rabbinical ordination from the Hebrew Union College in 2002 and is a member of the Central Conference of American Rabbis representing the reform movement. Rabbi Siegler, Is the inspirational leader of Congregation Jewish Community North, and serves as District One Lead Chaplain for the Harris County Sheriff's Office, and is also involved with many interfaith and intercultural dialogue programs. We are always glad to have him here. Please join me in welcoming Rabbi Siegler. Sieger. Sieger.
1: good morning everyone uh yes indeed first off the bat just to 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 make you feel terrible no i'm kidding it's it's actually siger s i g e r i always tell people i i i mess with the spelling or um i like to tell people we were we were at the zoo the other day and we saw those big stripy orange cats you know the 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 tigers, um which is fun but uh Yes. it's Actually, not, that's not what the name was. I don't know what it was when uh, my great-grandfather came over from Ukraine, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Saiger. Uh, but that's what it is now. So uh, that out of the way, um, as if my name weren't difficult enough to pr- uh, pronounce, today I'll be speaking to you about uh, a, a very interesting practice and giving a little bit of context, Um First off, it it goes without saying that it is actually always a pleasure to be with you all uh, virtually or uh, in person uh, when I'm able to to join with a a unity fellowship. Um, I I am a fan of uh, of of your movement and uh, your approach to community building and learning from the vast array of wisdom that is there to be found amongst the cultures of our little neighborhood called Planet Earth. Now, one of the cultures, obviously, is Judaism. Uh, We are an old people, and we have an awful lot of of traditions, many uh, of which may be familiar to you all, some probably less so. And when uh, jean Marie asked if I would be available to speak and then asked what I would speak about, I thought, well, we're actually in the middle of a period of time between the Biblical holiday of Passover, which many of you, I, I assume, may have heard of or be familiar with, and on the way to a holiday that is known by uh, many people as Pentecost, but to Jews it's known as a Shavuot, it is known as the, the Feast of Weeks, because it takes place seven weeks after Passover. So it's a week of weeks, as it were, a group of seven weeks. Now, during this time period, uh, our tradition tells us that we are supposed to count these weeks. It's a it's a a thing that is found in the uh, the Torah, and specifically in the book of Leviticus. Uh, I hope you will indulge me. I'm going to do a little bit of screen sharing here, uh, screen sharing, because I have both some text, but also some very nice graphics that I think you may find interesting. uh, As fun as it is to Watch my my hair slowly grow. Let's look at this first text from Leviticus. Okay, right here, I hope you all can see that. Um, This is discussing one of the practices that happens around the time of Passover. In the Jewish community, we're eating no bread or parched grain or any kinds of, of grain. It's a law for all time, throughout all the ages and all your settlements. So whether you live in Dallas or Fort Worth or even in Houston, no matter where you're living, you can't eat certain grain products unless they're matzo, which is that special flatbread that we eat. Separate note, it, it's actually the it, it's very similar to a flour tortilla. That's even not a joke. That's actually one of the theories about where flour tortillas came from. Um, but we can't have them on Passover. They have to be just matzo, which is like a very overcooked tortilla from the day on which you bring the sheaf or elevation offering of barley you would bring an offering at this time of year you will count seven weeks and they must be complete seven full weeks you must count until the day after the seventh week 50 days then you shall bring an offering of new grain to the eternal adonai or god whatever name you wish to choose to use when discussing the creator of everything You have my and our tradition's blessing to do so. So we use Adonai, which means my Lord, or uh, just God is also a good one. So um, that's where that comes from. Don't worry, it's not going to be all dry text. Now we're going to get into some interesting things. One of the reasons that we count these weeks is the idea is that it's very important. Without the barley growing, without the spring wheat growing, People are going to have a hard time in the summer. First of all, without barley, there's no beer. And everybody has always liked beer, especially in the summer. Um, more so because the fermentation helped make water drinkable. So it wasn't simply about just intoxication. That was never something that was important. But for actually staying alive, you needed certain things that would help make water drinkable. And mixing it with with uh, fermented things helps. Secondly, no bread. Uh, it's a staple. So... The weather can severely affect barley, especially, apparently, as it grows towards the end of its growing cycle. And this is also true with wheat. I am not a, a, a farmer, so I cannot speak to the specific um, dangers, but I do uh, take it uh, on, on faith, if you'll pardon the expression, that they knew what they were talking about. When people say, you've got to be careful and you don't want any rain because it'll ruin the crop. You, you want things to stay stable weather-wise. And of course, our ancestors, probably like even some of us in our more romantic moments, um, believe that heaven is in control of absolutely everything. And if we get too much rain or not enough rain, then God must be mad at us. So during this period of time, it became traditional to adopt almost a a, a footing of semi-mourning. People did not have wild parties. They wouldn't even have Weddings, or if they had weddings, they they were very small uh, affairs. People wouldn't often have live music. Maybe people traditionally don't cut their hair. That was my my joke about watching my hair grow, um, because you're not supposed to be particularly worried about your physical appearance. You're supposed to be worried about being on your best behavior, because you want to make sure that your crops are blessed. Now. This was all good and well in ancient Israel, but once the world changed drastically in the first centuries of, of the Christian era, um, as the church is developing, obviously there's, uh, the Jewish community experiences our, our great diaspora and we're spread out and we no longer live in ancient Israel and some of these practices that connect us to the land of israel and or the even the region itself it's hard to relate to if you're living in uh northern italy let's say um or my my ancestors uh actually started in jerusalem but ended up in greece for a while and then they were in france for a number of times so let's say in in the year 1400 you're living in france you're not really worried about the barley harvest outside Jerusalem, you have, you have other concerns. Um, and so it, it became an exercise in, in, simply in counting. Um, and um, this, this period of time became ritualized. And in fact, uh, over, over time, um, you see all this beautiful artwork. I'm gonna share something with you that is not um, easy to understand, but I just think it's it's, it's very cool these calendars were developed because every day you had to count. And um, there's a, a prayer that's said, and there's uh, you do the official counting of the Omer. We're supposed to count the barley, and today is day one of the barley harvest, or the barley counting, all the way up to day 49. And this is uh, an example of, of probably not as nearly as fun as Advent calendars, if you know uh, from people that celebrate Christmas. We don't have Advent, but we do have The Omer and the barley, the barley season. So let me show this to you. This is uh, something that's a little bit more recent. I I believe this is uh, just a a few hundred years old, Um, but it is a a remarkably ornate piece of artwork. And uh, if you can see my screen here, wow. I mean, I've got six years of rabbinical school and uh, this will make you go cross-eyed. Um, it's but it's quite ornate Um, and I'll zoom in a little bit just so you can get a look at some of what's going on here it's decorated and it it has within it the picture of of two I I think it's probably first place in an elementary school art contest perhaps I mean I'm not sure that these are not the best-looking lions I've ever seen but they are they are cute in their own way Uh, lions of Judah representing the tribe of Judah uh, but they're holding up the Ten Commandments, which is what is the culmination of this seven weeks. Shavuot, Pentecost is the anniversary, the holiday where we celebrate receiving the Ten Commandments. So there's a picture of the Ten Commandments. That's that's what this is all leading up to. Uh, down here, whoa, this crazy circle looking thing is uh, the calendar. And here it says Hayom, right in the middle here. I don't know if that, there we it should work. Right at the top is this Today is the second day of the Omer, and here it is over here. Uh, Here is the third day of the Omer. This is the fourth day of the Omer, and it goes all the way around. It goes actually clockwise, and it goes all the way around. And what you would do is you would put a little peg or uh, uh, probably not a sticker in the 1800s, but uh, you would put something on there so that when people would come into the synagogue, they'd know what day it is to count. Uh, over here, this is an image of, of some of the, at the bottom, there's a, an image of a book that is from the, the Mishnah, which is a a very important book in, in Jewish tradition that talks about all the laws of counting the Omer. And there are various meditations over here and all sorts of little details, which, uh, if you have seven weeks to count the Omer and, uh, we didn't have smartphones, so nobody was scrolling social media I guess, uh, and I would definitely be one of the people that would probably be hanging out over in uh, uh, the corner over uh, looking at the poster here and um, making use of this Omer counter that would help you count the Omer. Now, all of that is uh, well and good, but now we get into an interesting thing that happens. Somewhere around the year 1300 or so, Jewish mystical tradition starts to take off. And the Jewish mystical tradition becomes very popular. And what it does is it takes a lot of the practices that that people have been doing for many years, and it puts it into a different context. And it, it starts to move from ritual for the sake of ritual and tradition for the sake of tradition and doing things for the sake of a admittedly superstitious belief, which we're not really supposed to be fans of superstition, but human beings tend to be superstitious. Fear uh, that uh, if you don't do something right, then you're going to get punished, reward and punishment. And that can be useful to a point. But ultimately, of course, you need more. People wanted more. And in the Middle Ages, particularly around the 15th and and 16th century, you saw uh, a Jewish mystical tradition develop started actually in Spain in the 1300s, for those of you that are interested in medieval things and early Renaissance, and really, who among us is not, right? You saw the, uh, something that developed that is known as Kabbalah, and you may have run into it before. Um, you are like really open-minded and, and educated, and uh, people talk about Kabbalah. And Kabbalah um, is, and I'm mispronouncing it, actually, uh or or kabbalah people call it kabbalah it's called kabbalah um in hebrew it means the received tradition and the kabbalah is, is, is draws off of lots of different traditions that that we have within judaism but tries to frame things in a more mystical spiritual framework which people find beneficial traditionally because it talks about personal development we are concerned with ritual why do you count 49 days of barley growing even if you don't grow barley and you have no real connection to um, the ancient, ancient agricultural calendar of the land of Israel? You count it because the Torah tells you to do it and that's our tradition. No, that, that's fine. That's okay. Discipline for the sake of discipline can help us. But isn't it nice if you can actually say, oh, no, no, you don't understand. We're not growing barley. We're growing our, our spirit." We're growing our, our mystical connection to the world and creation. And all of this gets framed through something that's known as the Tree of Life. And if you have not heard of the, the, the Jewish Tree of Life, I, I, must, I can see all of you in the congregation, those of you joining on Zoom, I, I will just, uh, I hope uh, some of this is, is, is resonating with you. Just a quick show of hands uh, of people that may have heard of the Tree of Life before. the the Jewish Tree of Life. Oh, excellent. Okay. Uh, Not surprised. Pleased and and not surprised. And for those of you that may not be familiar with it, not to worry. I'll try to do this uh, as succinctly as possible. The Tree of Life is a way of looking at the world as though divine energy, that the the creative force that creates the universe um, is so powerful that it really can't exist in the material realm the way we do. That's why Jewish people have long believed that humanity is God's partner in creation. When we talk about being in the image of God or being partners with God, we are, we're not angels. We're not completely spiritual beings. We are physical manifestations, but we have spiritual entity within us. And most of our life is spent trying to keep those things uh, in balance and they fight with each other something terrible. Um, and that's why we need religion and discipline and we need each other to help us not fall prey to our lower instincts and our lower drives and try to strengthen our, our, our noble Elements our spiritual side. So there, there's something known as the tree of life. I have a very pretty picture of it um, it is a, a diagram that I'll share with you now and uh, This is a particularly pretty one Okay, this is known as the Tree of Life, and it consists here, it consists of, uh, it's probably 11, but it's really 10. This one is usually, the, the one that says Keter in the middle is, is um, sometimes is, is hidden, doesn't show up. Uh, Keter is the crown, and that's the highest form of divine energy, and everything flows through. The seven weeks, I'm not going to give a whole thing on this. I know this might seem overwhelming, but it will be clear I clearer in a moment. The lower seven get attached to each of the weeks. So every week of the counting of the Omer, counting of the barley season, is attached to one of these lower aspects of divine energy. The belief is just like like God can manifest among us in different ways. With kindness, chesed, down here, I'm starting halfway down. Chesed, Gevura, which says severity but it really means strength um or, or 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 uh almost heroism but but strength is a better word for it to which is beauty netzach which is that victory uh or endurance is a big word for that the sense of endurance hod which is glory but it's more like the humility it's a different type of, of beauty uh but it's 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 similar but but different enough that it has its own its own sphere its own um concept yes which is the foundation which for human beings is honestly really in uh, when we talk about it in in the context of some other eastern traditions more of our our generative energy sort of the procreation the the, the sort of the, the basic life energy and in malhut is the lowest which represents kingdom and it's the idea that, that God's energy starts at the top and gets filtered through all of these elements but where it then becomes part of our world. Now, that's very uh, 60s. You know, it's very hippie. But when I say 60s, I mean 1560s, not the 1960s. There you go. All right. But no, it, it, it's really, it's, it, it, it's, it's a little out there. I understand that. But here's another way that we look at this. They so that each of these elements can also be attached to parts of the human body. Uh, it's just another way of looking at it. I'll share this image with you. Um, here is someone practicing uh, a modified lotus position. And you see the Keter, the crown, bina, and Hoffma. These have to do with knowledge. And these have to do with purely intellectual. These exist on a purely intellectual level. The lower ones that we just talked about, uh, chesed, um, gevura, tiferet, netzach, hod, Yesod, malchut—these lower ones, kindness, strength, beauty, victory, splendor, uh, foundation, and kingdom—relate uh, to lower parts of the body. So your your left and right side, your heart, your solar plexus, and uh, you know our our uh, procreative parts and then uh, malchut, which sometimes is actually attached to the mouth because our words have the power to create or destroy. Or here it's represented by the legs, the things you stand upon. All of that leads us to what I was most excited to share with you. And that is a way of taking each of these seven sefirot, and every day, there are 49 days, The 50th day is Pentecost, 50th day is Shavuot, when we get the Torah, when we receive divine wisdom. The idea here is that this is all tied to Passover. When the Israelites are freed from Egypt, when we, if we view ourselves as spiritual ancestors, even if you don't wanna view yourself or don't view yourself as a literal descendant of the Israelites, that when we free ourselves from from bondage, from slavery, when we begin the process of self-discovery and emancipation, we're not really ready for Torah. We're not really ready to take on what our mission is. We have to work towards it. We have to develop our skill set. We have to develop our character. We have to develop our ability to carry out what we're going to be given when we receive the Torah, when we receive divine instruction, however you wish to interpret that. And so each one of these days is attached to a combination of those two Uh, two of those seven of those seven spheres so i'm now going to show you a really pretty chart and it aligns them with certain colors which is a nice way to visualize these 49 combinations each day of the omer being another day on this chart and like so here you go this is a handy dandy sort of not as exciting, no candy or cute cartoon advent calendar, but it's got pretty colors. Now begins right after Passover. I hope you all can see that. If not, maybe it's just colors. You'll have to trust me. Begins on the first day. Uh, It goes from the top to the bottom and then down in columns. The first week is that first sphere of chesed, of kindness. And so on the first day, we combine chesed with chesed, kindness within kindness. So the first day of the Omer, we think about what does it mean to be kind while being kind? Sometimes when we're kind, why are we being kind? Are we being kind because we truly believe in the value of kindness? Or are we being kind because we don't feel like having a confrontation? Are we being kind because we want people to think we're nice people so that we're serving our own ego? Are we being kind because we want to put kindness out into the world? This is the kind of thing that we're told to think about on the first day of the Omer. Second day of the Omer takes strength, gavura, the second sphere. And so we contemplate strength within kindness. Sometimes being kind means being strong. Sometimes being kind means not giving in to someone's request. We're doing someone more good by tough love, perhaps. And you can find that, say, well, you're not being kind. I am being kind, but we're being kind through using strength and the strength that it requires to sometimes do something that is kind. I don't know if any of you ever had to let someone go from a position because it's not the right fit for them, and everybody's struggling, and it's hard to do that. But ultimately, you know you're doing the right thing. They're going to be better off. You're miserable here. This isn't working for you or for anyone. It's not easy to do. It requires a certain amount of strength. Well, that is where the second day of the Omer is there to help us prepare ourselves. As we go through the weeks, uh, we combine each one of these attributes each day, and we are told that while we're counting the barley, it actually becomes, yeah, we're, it's day, let's say, if day is 17 today, by the way. I want to point out a couple of things. We, we had, um, it's the beginning of a new month yesterday. It's Rosh Chodesh means the new month. Today, uh, during the day, all day until sunset, it's the 17th day of the Omer. Uh, and we're right here in that green spot. And that is compassion within compassion to ferret within to ferret or beauty within beauty there are little ways to, to interpret it but really to ferret is, is is a sense of um, compassionate beauty If you think about we look at the way that the the world is, is designed and say wow it's amazing that that I don't like I don't like mosquitoes but um, mosquitoes are food for bats and the creator has considered that bats need something to eat. And even though I don't like mosquitoes, there's some beauty in the world. I can't, I'm being compassionate towards mosquitoes. I am practicing my compassion within compassion, something that may not serve me, but I can recognize that it may serve some other purpose. And I must consider other creatures needs as well. And seeing that balance and everything allows me to be compassionate to everything. And this is similar to the kindness question. Am I being compassionate because I want people to think I'm compassionate or I am being compassionate because I truly see another human being as a reflection of myself. We don't have to spend hours a day contemplating these things. Certainly if you're able to do that, more power to you. Uh, But even spending a moment or two saying, okay, how do I combine these powers in my own life? How do I carry out this kind of combination and how do I employ this? And how does it make me a more complete, person, a more complete image of my creator, as it were. Uh, so this being day 17th, tomorrow we get endurance within compassion. And boy, ask your uh, pastors or if any of you are in, in health care or in uh, healing communities or parents or really, frankly, if any of you are human beings, if we have any other human beings here, you'll understand that sometimes being compassionate takes an awful lot of endurance like it's not easy. So that's a day where you think about what provides me the opportunity to endure as a compassionate person. How do I avoid what we call compassion fatigue? How do I make it so I don't burn out? As you can see, I think it, I'm fairly confident this particular practice, this approach doesn't need to be sold very hard it it, it 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 the i i believe that the wisdom and the the uh, value of it is really apparent on, on on a very surface level uh not a surface level rather apparent uh, almost immediately that this is a kind of cool way to think about attributes of our personalities and ways that we want to think of the divine working through uh ourselves um okay so it goes all the way through you can see all these different colors and uh, these colors were chosen by uh, a wonderful rabbi who uh influenced a lot of people in my generation who was uh, someone who really took that mystical uh tradition and and tried to reinvigorate it and and uh make it relevant again um and share it with with uh, others so um that's where we get this and it goes all the way through you can see uh to day 49 and all these little days or there are certain days on our calendar that uh affect uh holidays or or certain things that you may do um uh, lagba omer is a day where we celebrate and we don't have to we can get haircuts for example i won't talk a lot about that but that's that's how the omer works so instead of sitting there and just saying it's a ritual and uh we count barley why because we just do because the bible says to for 49 days we're able to take this through you know, the, the, the newest, latest innovations from the 1600s, even a little earlier from the 16th century and apply it in a different way and revitalize and, and make ancient traditions fresh and vibrant and relevant again. And with that, I believe uh, I have probably used more of my time than I should have, but I wanna invite you to join me in a meditation and to do so we'll just take a couple minutes here i hope that's all right uh yeah, but oh there we go i guess uh, i'll take that as a yes okay and we're going to do a visualization exercise using the colors each of these colors as we talked about is symbolic of these divine traits that we want to bring to life in ourselves So as we center ourselves, let's deepen our breathing. Feel your body relax and adjust as you need to. Relax your jaw. Stretch out your neck if you need to. Shoulders, relax. Let gravity be your friend, pull you, draw you close, closer to the earth. Follow your breath for a moment and visualize indigo that dark purplish blue that you've seen at sunsets and at dawn. Imagine your vision filling with indigo, allowing that indigo to shift different shades of violet or lavender Deeper purple and focus on the multitude of violets and purples and lavenders that are in your world. Flowers, flavors, scents, allowing yourself to be infused with the shades of violet and the loving kindness that it represents. And as you breathe, pardon that interruption, sorry folks, it's terribly disruptive. We let it go, we brush the intrusions away, following our breath, and see in your mind the color blue The blue of a summer sky, the blue of the Caribbean, the blue of mountain lakes, the blue of blue bonnets, cornflower, unending as far as your inner eye can see, the blue of sapphire, the blue of awe, the blue of unending space. Infusing you, strengthening you. It happens to be my son's birthday, and he loves green. Now let the color you're imagining become green. Fill your imagination with the color green. All the infinite varieties, tones, tints, and shades of green plants, leaves, grass, emeralds, surrounded by green, infused with green, the beauty, the harmony of this world, filling yourself with a sense of compassion for yourself and all good things. Moving to yellow, the warmth of the sun, getting a wee bit ahead of you. It's beautiful. Visualizing yellow, all the shades of yellow, the warmth, the strength of lemon, the flowers, the brightness of fall leaves, endless tones of yellow urging you on like the sun urging you to grow, imagining it filling you with ambition and endurance to become what you are destined to be. And orange, marigolds, all the orange flowers you can think of, orange fruits and vegetables, the gourds of the fall, pumpkins, the carrots, nourishment drawn from the earth, your mind's eye, Your being, suffused with orange, soothing you, granting you humility, the splendor of God's creation. Deepening, warming, creating a picture in your mind of red, all the shades, ruby, brick, the red of clay, roses, apples, the blaze of the sky at sunset, enjoying that red, feeling its warmth, breathing it into yourself, feeling yourself bonding to it, finding a foundation in the red of our blood, the life force within us, being aware of it, strengthening us, nurturing us. And now all colors, all of them, the purples, the blues, the greens, the yellows, the oranges, the reds bonding, becoming one experiencing it as white, pure white light, breathtaking white, a healing divine white light, the purest color consisting of all colors, all spectrum. All becoming one, in you and through you, connected to a greater oneness. And allow your attention to return to your breathing. If you've discovered a favorite color, choose to hold on to it and return, having gone through the spectrum of the colors having experienced the divine energy through all the the spheres of emanation, joining us back together here in our community.
0: Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.